Good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces. Welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today in this podcast, we're going to discuss Twitter, but specifically, should you be a Twitter quitter? Today, we'll lead off with Ecclesiastes 10, verse 20, and as usual, we'll have several other scriptures that we reference and read today, and we'll put those in the overview. So, with the tweets of current events under the influence of the Holy Scriptures, let's just dig right in. I don't know how many of you out there in podcast land uh, are into Twitter. Uh, We're looking at Christian expectations, of course, of whoever might be on Twitter. Should we be a Twitter quitter? Mm. In view of what the Bible says, as we will look at that in this podcast. In a sly way, and this is a little bit of tongue-in-cheek humor, but I like it. We are warned in Ecclesiastes 10.20 about a Twitter bird causing (laughs) us some trouble. That's right. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. A bird, a Twitterer, (laughs) may bring regrets. A bird of the air... Uh, English Standard Version, NIV says sky. Uh, have you ever seen the Twitter logo? It's a bird. It, sky blue yeah. bird. Yeah. Exactly. The NLT says of this quote this way, for a little bird might deliver your message and tell them what you said. That brings, of course, regrets. Elon Musk and Twitter and his quest for free speech, how important is this, especially since it deals in the business of words of which the Bible has a lot to say, especially uh, the wisdom literature of the Bible. Listen to this from Proverbs 18, 20, and 21. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. The point of that proverb, of course, is in verse 20 that our words are like fruit and they will be good fruit or bad fruit Hmm. and they will satisfy us depending, but there is an outcome of this. And verse 21 then continues it. That is, we have the power of life and death in our words that we speak. And so they are life or they're going to be death. And certainly we don't want them to be death to ourselves speaking. But death to others, obviously, and life to others is obviously. Is that what Twitter does? I don't think they're really in the business of that. Mm. Freedom of speech may be good for democracy if it can be maintained. And, of course, the whole history of this country, it's been a struggle. But the Christian expectation for speech in the kingdom of God is for disciplined speech and therefore wise speech, wise words. We are not free to say whatever we think. Of course, that's what Twitter pretty much is all about. (laughs) Say what you want whenever you want. (laughs) Yes. Our goal, our Christian expectation, is fruitful speech of the kind that brings life, as Randy just read. Uh, Not free speech, which so often is bondage to a corrupt heart. Not free speech, which has no boundaries or guidance. The disciplined tongue is wisdom, but it also leads to wisdom. The undisciplined tongue knows only foolishness, the babbling of a fool. We'll be looking at the wisdom books of the scripture uh, for the most part. Of course, we won't do everything we could because that would be a really long podcast. But we're going to be looking at the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, 
the traditional wisdom books, psalms, because there are psalms that uh, the church has always considered wisdom psalms, like Psalm 49, uh, Psalm 19, which we'll quote at the end. And not all that's uh, available will be quoted. So what these books of wisdom, dealing with our mouth and our tongue, what they say is aimed at basic conversation, the give and take of day in, day out living. And it's not necessarily applied to the writing of books. Uh, I've been involved in writing, uh, co-author of one book and writing another one. Mm. And, you know, even a short book uh, tends to have a lot of words. Encyclopedias, lots of words. Uh, Christmas family newsletters. Right? <laughs> lots of words. You poor people out there who get, <laughs> get uh, those on Christmas. I don't do those. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to offend anyone. Uh, <laughs> Uh, our podcasts, and we try to keep our podcasts somewhere around a half an hour, sometimes a little longer, a little, little less sometimes. Simply put, not everything in our head needs to be vented. Yeah. Yeah. Our words must first be vetted. Keep that as a quote. Here's a quote from Abraham <clears throat> Joshua Heschel. Uh, you say, who's he? Well, he's the author of a book called The Prophets. Is a Jewish writer, did not become Christian, but if you really want to understand the prophets of the Old Testament, excuse me, <clears throat> that book I recommend. He's also got an interesting book on philosophy called God in Search of Man. Mm. We usually think of it, man yeah, searching for God. Around, yeah. uh, his take on it is just the opposite. Here's his quote. It's simple, it's short, it's to me obvious. Speech has power. Words do not fade. What starts out as a sound ends in a deed. I believe he was familiar with Proverbs 18, 20, and 21. Mm. Um, let's take a note of this. Um, these Proverbs that deal with your mouth and words and how we use them, they're scattered throughout the book of Proverbs. When I first started studying the wisdom literature, like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, it was bewildering because you couldn't make an outline. It's mm -hmm. very difficult, but that's like real life. Real life, we have a plan, but then God has his own plan, and yeah. our outline doesn't work. It has edits. Yes. Yeah. So uh, the way Proverbs is written in Ecclesiastes is that you will read it. You will always be coming across again and again and again something about your mouth, your tongue, and words and how we use them. So that's wisdom itself because mm -hmm. it's like everyday life. Proverb you need in the morning may not be the proverb you need in the evening. Mm. Uh, the rest of our quotes on this podcast are from the Bible. And, of course, obviously, then they're hard to uh, improve upon. Disciplining our words. What does that mean? Well, we all at times talk more than we should. Can I get an amen? Amen. Uh, I read years ago <clears throat> uh, an essay by Philip Yancey. Uh, you know, he's the author of The Jesus I Never Knew, Disappointment with God. And mm -hmm. Good books. I recommend his books. I think they're very helpful. But being someone who's written uh, myself, I said, oh, i got to read this essay on editing. And he made the point, I found it very true to my own writing. He said, I'll write something one day and get maybe 10 or 15 pages. Let's call it 10 pages. He said, I come back 24 hours later and go through it and realize I got to edit. And then you're down to five, four or three pages. That is true because we are just wordy people. Human beings are very wordy. So uh, my own Writing, I realized I had to do editing. I found that very helpful. You, you write something, leave it alone for 24 or 40 hours, go back and look at it, and it's amazing. You'll see, well, why did I put that in there? What's that about? And there's a quote, too, that says, I'm sorry for the long letter, but I didn't have time to write a short one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true, because <laughs> writing a short one takes time and thought. Yeah. Uh, 
and counseling that I've done over the years as a minister, I reached a, uh, a norm of 45 minutes when someone comes mm. in for counseling because I found out that after 45 minutes, either you're going to find out what the problem is or it's just going to be words. Mm. And so I always say, we're going to do this for 45 minutes and then 45 minutes, we stop. And if there's something there that's fruitful, we can move on to the next session. If not, we don't. Um, and beware of people. I had this problem. had a fellow call up once, wanted to be at one of our ministerial meetings there in Blanchester. We had uh, various ministers involved in an a, um, organization helping the community at large from our various churches. And I said, well, we're meeting you know, tomorrow, but we, we're, we're going to be at this restaurant. There's no place to, for you to talk. He said, well, I just need five minutes. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> sure five. He just <laughs> needed five minutes. Okay. All right. No need to even comment on that. Uh, without editing ourselves, we will become babbling fools. For example, Proverbs 10.8. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. What exactly is that? Do we have an example? Listen to this from Mark 9, uh, verses 4 through 7. And of course, this is the part in Mark's gospel where Jesus is on the mountain and uh, Moses and Elijah come down to uh, visit him. This okay. is a great scene. Yes. <laughs> and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt you just had to say something? <laughs> yeah. And of course, what Peter says is he was trying to, I don't know, be gracious or helpful, but he ended up saying that Moses and Elijah Jesus are all on the same level. <laughs> Let's make tents and yeah. go lay down. And yeah. so uh, the Lord God Father had to step in and say, no, no, just listen to Jesus. And we can listen to him, his word, in this passage from Proverbs 17, 27, and 28. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. He who restrains his lips. This is like exercise. You've got to practice it. You just don't say, well, I'll... I will, I'll speak less. No, you'll find yourself struggling to want to say something, and that's the key. Pull back. Restrain. Uh, even, what was that verse 28 again, Randy? That was, uh, that was, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. Even when he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. There you go. And I've experienced that in, in my life. When you see people who don't talk much, you can say, well, that... He's a deep thinker. He's taking it all in. Yeah, there's a quote there. Still waters run deep. Still waters run deep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so there is a blessing in just learning to keep our mouth shut. Thus, Ecclesiastes 3.7b. A time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Ah, uh, yes. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. And of course, how do you know to do which? Wisdom. And it takes practice. Listen to Paul's words about this subject of tongues, and we're not getting into that. This is about words and wisdom. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 18 and 19. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. 
Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. There we go. Paul didn't have uh, uh, the need to talk about this matter of his own tongues experience until it applied to the situation. Mm. Everything that happens in our life, we don't have to talk about. Yeah. We need to uh, bring it up when it fits the situation and can be helpful. So in this case, we would never know this about Paul because he knows the wisdom of the Old Testament and how to control your mouth. And listen to what he said. I'd rather speak five words. <laughs> Paul was the originator of less is more. Mm. Remember that? What was that? It was a beer commercial or something? Yeah, well, and Paul is also the one who preached so long that somebody fell asleep and fell out well, of the second story <laughs> window so he can talk. Yeah. He can talk. He can talk. He can talk. And so... Um, we all have our issues of time and controlling our time. <laughs> uh, so what is, where does that bring us? This wisdom is illustrated, this keeping our words disciplined and restraining them and not being wordy when we got no business being wordy. By another proverb, Proverb 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. There you go. When many words, transgression is not lacking. And the problem with so many of us, especially in meetings, is there, there are more words than are necessary. Amen and I know and as a teacher, we'd have those meetings, and I always think we all got degrees here. Why don't they just give us the memo? We don't need to meet after school all the time. And, if, and the principal would say, now, uh, for the good of the order. <laughs> that was his phrase. Does anyone want to say anything? I just go, please. Nobody, nobody keep your mouth shut. And somebody would say, "Oh, what about our toilet supply of paper there in the hallway?" I, I, I would. Mm. The more words, the more likely a problem. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. Not to mention the problem that some of us have that when we're asked what time is it, we'll describe how to build a clock. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard someone having spoken for some time say, "Well, to make a long story short," someone jumped up and said. Too late. <laughs> Here's an example. Bill Clinton's 1988 speech at the Democratic Convention. Uh, I remember this. I used to watch those things. Don't bother now. Um, and he was um, speaking to endorse Michael Dukakis. Eventually, that was the idea. It went twice as long as was scheduled. So, and you can probably find this on YouTube. So when he said, in conclusion, before he could say another word, everybody applauded. Later, he was on Johnny Carson's show and uh, talking about uh, the upcoming election. He sat down, and when Carson asked his first question, he put an hourglass on, on the <laughs> desk. <laughs> Clinton later said he learned to focus and shorten his speeches after that. I might add, I've been rebuked in my life for talking too much. Once after a long sermon of 45 minutes, um, people going out the doorway, one guy went by and just tore into me. He said, this is why churches are, are closing their doors and going out of business because people like you talk too much. Well, I took that to heart, uh, thank God, and it had to be God's work because that's pretty hard to swallow right there. Anyway, I began to find out I could actually preach a better sermon in 25 minutes or so if I worked at it. So, Twitter characters, says Musk, however, must be raised from 280, might be raised from 280 to perhaps 4,000. Oh, no. From the Christian expectation, we must say this is not an improvement. Hmm. Vet before you're vocal. Proverbs 15, 28. 
The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Ponders how to answer. That's terrific. Listen to this from James 1, 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to listen. I mean, focus on what you're listening to. You know, don't be trying to make up what you're going to say next when the other other fellow shuts up. You know, listen, understand it so you can answer wisely. Don't be this way. Proverbs 18, 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Yes, and that happens so often because we've not listened appropriately or with intents. Now, listening is a skill. Just like restraining our words takes practice to really listen, to hear somebody, it takes time. Active listening. Active listening. Yeah. Uh, and slow to speak doesn't mean, I will talk like... <laughs> it means take your time. You don't have to be the first responder or the second in a meeting or the third or fourth. Take your time. Let everything in your head percolate somewhat. Lots of words don't impress God. Matthew 6, 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Ah, yes. Isn't that great? We don't need long prayers. We don't need long prayers. Really, the place we don't need long prayers is right before we're supposed to eat at a church dinner. That's right. Make sure <laughs> you ask someone who understands this verse right. to, to give the blessing. Uh, hear what Job tells his friends. This is... Uh, from the NLT, from Job 16, 1 through 3. Then Job spoke again. I have heard all this before. What miserable comforters you are. Won't you ever stop blowing hot air? What makes you keep on talking? <laughs> I like that. Yes. So, Ecclesiastes six eleven chimes in. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? Yes, and as to Job and his friends, you know, if you go to the end of that book and, and read it, all their words were in vain. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. For all their pontificating and theology and this and that, it was all in vain uh, because they're rebuked and God instructs Job to put a sacrifice up for them because of their talking to us that was nothing but hot air. Mm. Think of all the 24-hour news services and the words on any given day, a month, a year. Who are going to be reading and studying these words years from now? Ecclesiastes 10.14. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? Exactly. We so often talk about things we know nothing about. Too many words equal being a fool. We need the discipline of the mouth. And so we return to the book of James, chapter 3, First two verses. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Right. I often think of this verse being a teacher over the years and preacher. Um, be not many teachers. Those of you who don't. Don't rush to do that because mm. we are going to go under a stricter judgment. I understand that. I accept it, um, which is why I always try to work on making sure I've said what I said and don't just blab, blab, blab. Notice he also says that you keep your body in check with your mouth. Mm. 
that's very important. We're going to see how that works out. You keep your body in check with your mouth. Uh, words. Our tongue leads the body into action. That's the deed, as Heschel, Abraham Heschel says. If we want to keep our actions in check, such as our body language, not to mention reacting in a violent way, the key to all of this is to harness our tongue. Otherwise, we spawn foolish, evil actions. Think of Herod and his words. Listen to this from Mark 6. The background for this, of course, is the dance that uh, Salome does and the uh, vow that Herod says, up to the half of the kingdom, I'll give you whatever you ask because apparently he had too much to drink. That's another mm -hmm. problem, which brings out all kinds of words. But listen to this, Mark 6, 21 through 28. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to bring the king and asked, saying, I want you to bring me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests he had made, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. Yes, rash words, foolish promise. He could have disavowed this foolish vow, but so often, for whatever reason, we people believe sometimes unwise words must be backed up. Hmm. So Herod needs to save face by taking John's head. What starts as a sound ends up in a deed. And then there's the wonderful story of Nabal and uh, Abigail and David in 1 Samuel 25. The background is David, of course, is on the run from Herod. He's got some 400 men, and it is a motley crew, let me tell you. Just go back and read 1 Samuel through, and you'll see that. Mm -hmm. And um, But they have been protecting, uh, watching out for the, the uh, sheep herders out there of Nabal's flock. He owns thousands of sheep, and this is uh, shearing day, day of celebration and feasting. And David sends some of his men there uh, to speak on behalf of David, saying, when we were out in the field, we watched over your men and made sure no one molested them or had troubles from thieves or whatever. And we know today is celebration, so whatever you can spare, we, we, we would just like to have, if we could. And then we come to 1 Samuel 25, 9-13, which Randy will read. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and when they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from where I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. David wasn't quick to listen to, to his own words. What will be the consequences? I mean, that's one thing maybe he should have asked himself before he talked about everyone strap on your sword. Is this for myself, who one day is going to be king, 
is this the kind of past I want? Mm-hmm. If I were running for office, would you know, would my opponent point this out that I've been involved in a slaughter of a lot of innocent people? He used words to fuel his body recklessly. He unleashed rash words. And when offended, our first reaction is often to lash out and level the offender with words. David needed to hearken unto Proverbs 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It is his glory to overlook an offense. Good sense. But in speaking so rashly, David, he fulfills Proverbs 12.16. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. The vexation of a fool is known at once. We don't want to be those kind of people. Mm-hmm. Other examples of not returning an offense would be Moses. He, he fulfills this idea of Proverbs 19.11. You know, don't, uh, don't get bent out of shape. It's your, it's your glory to overlook an offense. Don't even take it to heart. Mm-hmm. Numbers 11, 26, 29. And this is about the time when he needed some help and God is going to put the Holy Spirit on some other people to be prophets. And uh, there's a concern of one of the young men that some people are doing this who ought not to be doing it. Numbers 11, 26, 29. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. Right. Moses didn't take offense. He saw it as a good thing. And here is a passage which every time I read it, I still still have a hard time processing it uh, because I want to say, Paul, go back and rethink this. (laughs) Philippians 1, verses 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. That's amazing, is it not? Paul says they're out there preaching or doing the kind of preaching that is meant to disturb me and hurt me and keep me where I'm at. And yet they're preaching Christ, so I rejoice. It's astounding. Let's go back to the book of James, chapter 3, and look at verses 5 through 6. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. That is quite an indictment of the human tongue. Mm. And we see it played out every day, if you pay attention to the news or... Or Twitter. Or Twitter. (laughs) Yes. Um, So, not just David, but 400 of his men are set on fire, right? Right. By David's tongue. Uh, Abigail, of course, reacts uh, with wisdom. She knows her husband, knows the kind of person he is. He's drunk at the time this is all going on, so in case you've not had this experience, arguing with a drunk is a waste of time. She knows it's a vain. 
So she brings the needed supplies. You know, uh, she has a, uh, a caravan, basically, of donkeys bringing raisins and fruits and wine and all those good things for his men. Of course, if that's all she would do, David would still be bent on avenging himself. <laughs> Have a good meal, then we're going to go raid the place. Um, she talks to him, and she doesn't say he's the biggest fool's navel. He doesn't say, David, what is wrong with you? You're an idiot. You're about to blow it. You know, Don't you have any sense? doesn't do anything like that. She doesn't upbraid him. She encourages him. You can go back and read that passage um, to be considering the future. She tells him, you're going to be the king. You don't want to be the king and then end up remembering you've got innocent blood on your hands. That is no way to start your rule. Abigail fulfills Proverbs 15.4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Yeah, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. The same tongue can break a spirit. And David, how does he respond to her? He says, go up in peace to your house. See, I've obeyed. And the Hebrew says, listen to, but so often in the Hebrew, that means being obedient. See, I've obeyed your voice. I've granted your petition. When David sees the wisdom of what she's saying, obedience comes naturally. Mm. He has calmed down, and hopefully he has learned a good lesson. There are great benefits to having a disciplined tongue. For example, Proverbs 13, 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Yes, we have a, a proverb in our, our culture uh, don't let your mouth write a check that your body well, can't, can't cash. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Keep your, preserve your life. Now, it is true that the heart is the fount of what the mouth speaks. Uh, Matthew 12, 34, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Uh, I remember once in a prayer meeting way years ago, uh, someone had said in response to another person's take on the book of Isaiah, ah, it's baloney. And later on, got to feeling bad about it and said, oh, well, you know, I, I said, you know, baloney, I, you know, I really didn't mean that. One of the women of the church says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. <laughs> <laughs> so we need a change of heart. The way to change our heart in this matter is to rein in our mouth. And when we do that, it takes work. It's practice. We will experience in due time the blessing of having done that and gain wisdom. Being quick to listen can keep us from words that will lead us astray. Naaman. The Syrian, the war leader, learned this. Uh, he's afflicted. Uh, he has a Jewish servant who was apparently captured and taken into the service of his uh, family. And he's got a disease, maybe leprosy, but something of the flesh. And she says, whether we got on a prophet, if he could just go to our prophet Elijah, he, Elisha, he'd be healed. And so um, he goes over there, and this is what transpires. 2 Kings 5, 10 through 14. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be cleaned? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? 
So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Therefore, listening to the words of others, his servants had more wisdom than he did. Yeah. And he took that to heart. He listened, even though it made no sense to him, and he was healed. A disciplined tongue, disciplined ears as well, then keep us out of trouble, trouble we shouldn't have gotten ourselves into. One way of keeping ourselves out of trouble is, again, listening to the wisdom of Proverbs, Proverbs 12, 13. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. Yes, absolutely. How much trouble in the world is caused by not keeping control of our tongue? It takes practice. It doesn't happen overnight. Let's return to James chapter 3, the great discourse in all of the New Testament on the tongue and the problem of it. And we're looking at verses 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Full of deadly poison. Um, the tongue of faith can be tamed but we must cease being a fool. By applying James' earlier truth, be quick to listen, slow to speak, we can get a hold on our words and find out that we can speak words of wisdom. Uh, then we can be this, Proverbs 16, 23. The heart of the wise makes his speech judici judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Judicious words, meaning good sense. Judicious words is persuasive on its own without a lot of flourishing rhetoric or bombastic speeches. Know who you're talking to. This is another part of the wisdom of using your mouth. Let's look at Proverbs 23.9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. He will despise the good sense of your words. So if there are foolish people around... Maybe choose another time for what you want to say because there are always those who are just going to take it and run with it and disrupt everything. For example, Proverbs 29.9. If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs and there is no quiet. That's you got to realize that. we got to be discerning. Uh, we don't have to answer everybody. We don't have to speak to everybody and be mm. careful sometimes, depending on what you're going to say, who's going to hear it. May we learn from the Master how to respond to others. Listen to this, and we're going to take a couple of events in Jesus' life and apply it. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, and listen carefully to it. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Yeah, well, which is it? Sounds like double talk, but there is wisdom here. Uh, don't answer a fool according to his folly, or you'll be like him. On the other hand, there are times when you answer a fool according to his folly, so he won't be wise in his own eyes. Let's see how this works out. Let's take the one answering, not a fool, don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Listen to this in Mark 11, 27 through 33. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. 
Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to him, to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is so cool. It's like, You've asked me a question, I'll answer your question, and first you'll answer mine. Mm -hmm. That is certainly appropriate times when the people you're dealing with, they have a different agenda from what they're saying. Mm -hmm. uh, they say, you know, by what authority do you do this? Well, he's already shown them all kinds of authority. This is the last week of his life. So they're not interested in that. They are just harassing and looking for an excuse to do him in. And so uh, he doesn't answer them according uh, to the, their folly. He doesn't discuss the nature of authority. Mm -hmm. He takes an authoritative figure and say, what do you think of this? Was his baptism from John or not? Well, they were put in a dilemma because they didn't want to admit that it was from heaven. But then on the other hand, what's going to happen if they do that? The crowd's not going to be happy with them. So he put them in a dilemma. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Discern what, in fact, they're trying to question you about and answer them appropriately. And it may be the time to say, I'll answer your question, but first, here's mine. Hmm? They cannot recognize authority when they see it. They didn't get baptized by John. And so clearly, their question about authority to Jesus is bogus. They are not worthy of an answer. Mm. Then, answer a fool according to his folly, so he won't be wise in his own eyes. Listen to this from Matthew 12, 22 through 27. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that he has cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Yeah, apparently some of the people there in the community were, before Jesus came along, were exorcising demons. And how effective they were, I don't know, but effective enough at times, I guess, for Jesus to make that point. Mm -hmm. You you know, uh, did you call them sons of Satan because of the work they were doing? And if it's true, then Satan's defeated. You know, Satan, does he work that way? Uh, Jesus points out the folly of their contradictory argument very clearly. So, the right word at the right time. Here are two wonderful proverbs on this, illustrating how great it is when you can vet something in your mind, ponder it, and respond with just the right word at the right time. Proverbs 25, 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Yeah, it's a beautiful picture to behold. Proverbs 15, 23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. To make an apt answer to a person, how wonderful it is. But if we're all we're interested in is hearing ourselves talk, that's not going to happen. Mm -mm. We've got to learn to restrain our words. Freedom of speech may be good for ourselves as a country, but as Christians, our first priority is what the Bible says about disciplining our words and gaining wisdom, curbing the tongue and checking our body. How important are words? 
Listen to this, Matthew 12, 36, 37. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Yes, and how many people from Twitter will be in that group? <laughs> so it's something to take to heart, people, the words of Jesus. Well, we don't want to become paranoid over this, or we will suffer the paralysis of analysis. The best approach to start off with this whole matter of how do I curb my speech, how do I get wise words, is offering up the prayer of David uh, that he did at the end of his wisdom psalm, Psalm 19. These are the words by which he ends that wisdom psalm, which is a meditation on God's creation and the sun and the heaven and on the word of God, the law of God, the testament of God that's found in the Bible. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, from which these words sprung out, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David had spent time thinking about this. And then what were the right words to use? Words that are acceptable to God, our rock, because we have meditated upon them before we spoke them. Mm. We were quick to listen and then spoke apt words to help others and glorify God. And this is the Christian expectation. Thanks, Jim. You've given us a lot to think about and to tweet about. <laughs> and I'm sure that there might be questions or comments. We'd love to hear those questions and comments from you. Please send them to our email account at eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. We'll use your question or comment where possible, and we will always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations. And until next time, keep looking up.